Now, as we join you this afternoon, the blockade set up by residents of Inch in County Clare as part of a protest at the placing of asylum seekers in a local hotel continues. There have been other relatively low-key protests at locations across Dublin where it is now known that asylum seekers are due to be placed in the coming days and weeks. The ongoing controversies come as new projections were revealed yesterday evening, estimating there could be a 10 to 15% increase in the numbers seeking international protection here between this year and next. We'll be speaking to our political panel here in studio on all of that shortly. But first, regular listeners to this programme may remember a story featured here some months ago about the arrival of hundreds of asylum seekers to the village of Brafie in County Mayo. That influx resulted in controversy and local resistance similar to what has been seen in recent days in County Clare. We've been catching up with what has happened in Brafie in the last few months and I've been speaking to Martin Reddington who is chair of Brafie Community Council. He began by telling me about when Ukrainians started to arrive there last year. March of last year, quite a number of Ukrainian people came to Brafie and were facilitated by Brafie Woods Hotel. So they were coming into the community on a regular basis from March right through until maybe November of last year. Also IP, or International Protection of Refugees, also started coming in around that time as well. But around November of last year, there were approximately 700 people in the woods of about maybe 500 were Ukrainians and about approximately 200 were IP. So 700 in all between Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers, which is a big number compared to the numbers we're seeing in Inch, County Clare, that's in the news this week where we're talking about 29 people. Like, How has Briefy managed a number like 700? The population of Briefy would be approximately maybe 1,000 people, or a bit more than that. It's obviously, for those people who may not know where it is, just outside Castle Bar, we didn't have any issues. Now, there were various rumours going around, but eventually there were false rumours being spread around November of that year about the people who were there, and particularly about the IP people who were there. And that caused us huge problems because, um, first of all, there was a communication deficit at that stage in that we did not know how many were there at the time, and that from the government and indeed from the hotel. So what we did basically was we then began to investigate as a community council what was there, who was there, why they were there as much as we possibly could. And we send a communique out to everybody in the media about exactly what the real situation was. Then there was a meeting that was take, took place, which we didn't condone, and we dissociated from in Bar, basically to talk about this issue and to perpetuate some of the fears. Do you think a meeting like that was helpful or harmful when you do have an information deficit? I think in the broader scheme of things, there are a number of issues that need to be discussed. First of all, when there is communication deficit, there's fears. And fears are genuine or not genuine, but it's kind of irrelevant. Perception is reality. Those type of meetings, which are unauthorised meetings that are held, and generally held by people who are not very often from the community, they're very unhelpful in the sense that some politicians, by, by their words and actions, they do influence people who are genuine in their fears. And that aggravates the situation. And politicians in all parties should not be scoring political points in a very sensitive situation like this. And in by so doing, they really aggravated for the people who are actively involved in trying to come to a resolution of this problem. 14 months on, Martin, do you think there is acceptance in the Briefy community now of the 700 asylum seekers and refugees? I think only there was always acceptance. That doesn't mean that everybody accepts it. But, but I think what we did, what we did, or we tried to do in the community in Braithby, we tried to, after that episode, we tried to actually actively engage with the asylum seekers. We met them on a regular basis. We had them integrate into the schools. 
we got them involved in Christmas celebrations and Christmas parties, and we're working with them getting jobs at the moment. And we issued a newsletter, for example, out to the whole, the whole community, which involved obviously a contribution by the IPs and a contribution by the Ukrainians, etc. And that helped to alleviate some of the fears. Can you talk a little bit about some of maybe the personal stories that you've learned that has helped with that acceptance piece? I found this process as chairman of the community very humbling. When you hear stories of women who have been raped, when you hear stories of people who are political activists and what they've had to sacrifice, there's one particular person who has left seven children behind her because she had to leave and cannot communicate with them. There are real stories about real people who are trying to get refugee status for genuine reasons. These people and their children will, will eventually become part of our society. Some of them children will become politicians and they're going to look at us 20, 30 years from now and say, what have we done? The committee you created sounds like it was a game changer. You got proactive having these contact points. But that's a playbook you created. And I'm curious if other communities around the country who have maybe faced something similar over the last 14 months have reached out to you to see how did you do that? We did this on our own. I mean, we're amateurs in what we're doing. So we're doing the best we can with, within the community and within the community because we're empathic with people. But one of the things that I found very frustrating is that in all that time, no one within the government agencies have reached out to us and asked us or got us involved in any decision. It's a very much a silo-based process. You know, you've got the health service doing one thing. You've got, you know, you've got employment agencies doing something else. You've got, and we are at the front line who are actually working with these people. And that's the frustrating part. I just wonder, there is, the government entities are not reaching out to communities and getting them actively involved as primary stakeholders in resolutions here. What about other community groups, though, like yours? Have, has there been any outreach from any of those to, to benefit from your learnings? I don't, I don't think there's any connectivity between us. And that's not, you know, there's no connectivity within communities. You know what I mean? It's very much a silo-driven, like, you know, we all have their problems or Brave have their problems or Inch have their problems or East Wall have their problems. There's no joined-up thinking. Now, I, that's my view. I don't see any joined-up collective thinking. I mean, there are resolutions here, like, for example, you know, I would say there is a communication deficit. Inch is classic there. We had the same thing. That creates division. For example, a lot of these people in Bravery right now are, are coming into work permits now. Where are they going to get work? There has to be a way in which there is work in the area, but they don't know how to get it. Some employers don't know who they are. And there's no entities actively working on that. And I'd say that is replicated all over the country. What about the health and welfare of these adults, children, 600, 700 of them living in the Bravery campus? Some have had health issues. Most of them at this stage, not all of them, but all of them would have medical cards. Uh, we have tried to work with them through that process. All the children I know have been vaccinated, and there is in that respect. But there are women there who are pregnant. You know, there's, there's other health issues that they would have. Sometimes they don't have adequate medical history, so doctors have to do what they can. And that is definitely a problem and will become a problem. And I would always, I would worry that at some day, some would play, some woman or somebody will die maybe in pregnancy or something because of a situation. What happens when somebody gets sick at the moment, Martin, on that campus? It depends on the sickness. I mean, I had a situation there recently, or we had a situation where a woman was pregnant and uh, she was sick and I found out about it. They were from Syria and couldn't get a doctor. I rang my own doctor. He said, no problem. Brought her over to the doctor. He dealt with her. She had an infection. We had to go to the hospital with her and we had to get a prescription, etc. And she, she she had a serious infection. We solved that problem. But there are many more like that. GPs are, like in all GPs all over the country, they are constantly, obviously, under pressure. 
So, you know, that is overwhelming, you know, but there's also a narrative that goes around, which I find somewhat disturbing that, you know, that because these people come into the area or areas that our services have been affected by it, you know, uh, for example, but these, these problems at our services have always been there from my experience and or sorry, in the last 10, 20 years and to align problems with people who've come into the country with these is somewhat disingenuous and, uh, and somewhat hypocritical as well. Martin Reddington there, Chair of Brafie Community Council in County Mayo, speaking to me a little earlier. And just to add, we'd also been in touch with some of the asylum seekers who are living in that sports arena in Brafie. And while they didn't want to go on air today, they did tell us that things have improved a lot since they first arrived. And just to quote one woman who talked to us who's been living there, she said, quoting, it's honestly a lot better than when we got here. I would say this place has become more accepting of us than initially. Now, let me introduce you to our political panel this week. They are Martin Conway, Fine Gael Senator, and his party Shannon spokesperson on health. Roisin Shortall, Social Democrats, TD for Dublin North Central. And Lynn Boylan, Sinn Féin Senator and party spokesperson on climate change. Um, Senator Martin Conway, to come to you first, you're on record as saying you want this blockade in Inch County Clare to be lifted. We've seen efforts by the Government Minister of State, Joe Bryan, saying this week that he would freeze the arrival of new asylum seekers coming in there for four weeks, but the blockade had to be lifted as part of a quid pro quo there. What do you think is actually going to unblock this stalemate and see that blockade now lifted? I don't honestly know, Anya, but I would reiterate uh, my appeal again to the people uh, who are um, behind the blockade. While I completely understand uh, uh, the worries, the concerns, the fears, uh, the lack of information, um, I don't think a blockade is an appropriate way of protest. Uh, People absolutely have the right to protest and should protest if they feel aggrieved. Uh, But there's other ways of doing it and blocking a road is not a way of doing it. Um, So, look, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to continue. I don't know. Uh, when it will stop or what's going to happen uh, but I do believe it should and I believe that it it, it it needs to and as I say I would appeal to people uh, to just think about it and uh, just step back from this blockade and um, you know engage in other ways. Um, Martin Conway being very clear there lift the blockade Lynn Boylan where do you stand at this point we've had a lot of debate back and forth should the blockade be lifted now and get this pause into effect while everybody recalibrates? Yeah, I I think that if people have frustrations or questions or concerns, absolutely defend the right to protest. But I would ask them to reflect on what have the the people who are staying an inch done to warrant being protested against. So, I mean, I don't think it's appropriate for people to protest where anybody lives, whether that's a politician, whether that's an asylum seeker. You know, I think it is intimidating to the people. You'd be clear uh, it's time. Very clear. I think that they should lift the blockade by all means if they're not happy protest and protest outside outside government buildings but not where people are seeking refuge because as I said if they just reflect on I suppose how it must feel to be somebody who is seeking shelter and refuge and to be protested or to have a bus boarded I think it is intimidating. Roisin Shortall same question to you and I'll correct your constituency is Dublin North West but should the blockade be lifted? I think it should yeah Um, but I think there's also an onus on the state agencies to actually provide information to people. Like there's been a lot of talk about consultation or engagement or whatever. People need to talk 
right? Whatever term you like to use. But they need to, to talk. And if there are people uh, who are going to be accommodated in a local area, well, then there needs to be clarity about the kind of support services that will be provided. And unfortunately, that hasn't been uh, the case. And we've heard from Martin there in, in Brafey uh, talking about how the state agencies operate in silos and how it took them mm. so long to get basic information and to get supports. And that's the approach that needs to be taken. I mean, people in the main are reasonable. Uh, we need to ensure that there is a plan for accommodating and integrating uh, migrants in this country. And unfortunately, we haven't got to that point. So, Martin Conway, to build on that point, and we heard the Taoiseach on the Late Late Show last night say, look, yes, communications could be better here. You've heard Martin Reddington there in Brafie talking about government agencies. There just hasn't been follow-up where it is actually working in a community like Brafie. How is that playbook not being pulled together from all of these communities, all of these agencies to go, here is a way to make it work? Yeah, and I would say that the people in Inch and Kilmany in the general area are very reasonable, decent people as well. And when uh, uh, engagements uh, will eventually happen, and eventually it will, uh, uh, people will see that well demonstrated uh, by the community there. Um, You know, this... Uh, in 2019, we had less than 5,000 people coming to this country seeking international protection. Uh, in 2022, uh, it was nearly 100,000 people. Uh, so what you're, you're looking at is a system that's been scaled up in real time uh, when, uh, uh, you know, people are landing here. So you're trying to find accommodation. Uh, and uh, you're trying to do that. You're right. Yeah. It's it's a moment yeah. of urgency and yeah. you're trying to give security. But there shouldn't be a veto, surely, for local residents when people are fleeing war Oh, absolutely not. And that has been made well clear by ministers, by the government and and by the vast majority of the political system, to be fair. Um, But like you're in a situation where the government have both a legal and a moral responsibility uh, to to provide accommodation, shelter, safety and health supports for people who are fleeing uh, war-torn areas. Uh, But unfortunately, you know, scaling up, providing that type of accommodation has proven to be very difficult in the backdrop of a housing crisis. Uh, so, and then if you're to add the, the whole area of consultation and engagement, and I firmly believe that there can't be a barrier or a blockade either in information uh, uh, to communities. Uh, so what we need to see urgently, and Minister O'Gorman has committed to this, as is the Taoiseach, uh, and the tarnished last night in the Late Late Show, where uh, protocols and a formula is going to have to be found to engage with communities uh, when uh, asylum seekers are being located within the community. And it cannot uh, be a situation where the state agencies like Clare County this Council... Isn't, this can't be new, new, new news you, to the government you, you see, that you need proactive pro- Yeah, but you see, the, the, the problem, Anya, is that it's not, and it should have been done before for now. Uh, but when you're dealing do you with accept, oh, yeah. Do you accept oh, I, 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 I totally, that it hasn't been no, adequate? I, I totally accept that uh, we have fallen down when, uh, and the government have fallen down when it comes uh, to uh, effective engagement. Uh, again, as I said, you had 5,000 in 2019, you had 100,000 last year uh, and every corner of the country has been looked at at the moment uh, uh, to, to step up and help out at this crisis. Roshan Short, I'll bring you in. Martin Conway is calling it engagement. One of the scale-ups we're seeing, there's 
there's there's three suburbs around Dublin being looked at as potential locations to help with the sense of urgency here. One area in your own constituency. You talked this week about a complete failure to consult with residents. But is that not a veto? Like, what, what do you mean no, by no, consultation? No. And when you no, talk no, about no, being consulted. But we shouldn't get hung up of, uh, on, on words. You know, whether you use the term consultation, engagement, communication. As I say, you need to have talks going on. You need to so be... Not, but not a veto. No, not a veto by any means. And like many local communities will welcome in migrants if it's clear that, you know, what the plan is and that there are support services there. For example, in the case of Santry, um, it seems there was no engagement with Fingal County Council. For example, the County Council is a key agency so in the area. So what were they told a so few weeks ago when some of this information started coming through to local representatives? There was, there was very little information. We heard about the numbers uh, and we heard about the location. But there was nothing in detail in relation to the kind of support services. And they're critical. And like when you look at what's happening at government level, this is... Uh, the responsibility of the Department of Integration, Roderick O'Gorman. But there has to be an all-of-government response to it. I mean, this is a huge challenge. Nobody is saying for a moment that it's easy. But what if, Roisin, in those moments, let's say weeks ago you had gotten the full detail and all the detail, is it all male, is it mixed, what countries, etc, etc. What if the residents still turn around and say no? Like, are you sympathetic to officials who are saying we can't give too much advance notice here or we're going to have protests and a backlash? Well, we have to know what the plan is. Right. What role would the local authority play? What's the situation about training? What about uh, English classes, for example? You know, there are a whole lot of issues like that. And, you know, we should be working with local communities to ensure that there is good integration. Now, if, you know, there's a proposal to locate maybe three or four hundred migrants in a local centre without information about the kind of supports and how that integration can happen, well, then there will be concerns. And I just think it's important to point out that Roderick O'Gorman has essentially been left on his own in yeah. relation to this. There's supposed to be That's a whole of government response. I, I got figures recently about the number of staff in that section in the department. It has increased by five in the last year. Now, that's just not good enough. And, that, and, and other ministers must help, you know, to share um, that, that, and, that role and, and, and the, and the work in, and in I know we, we, We've been trying to establish on, on this programme this week how many officials are working. We have to and, make these things and, work, and, you know. And we haven't been able to kind of get some details on that. Um, Lynn, to bring you in, like, are, are you sympathetic to Martin and government colleagues where they're trying to provide for safety, there isn't sometimes enough time to do all of this consultation you have to solve for the short term. Like, what would Sinn Féin do differently in this moment when there is that urgency? Well, this is people's lives. But let's not forget that when the war broke out in Ukraine, the Taoiseach, who at the time Michal Martin was talking about up to a quarter of a million refugees. So if that was what was expected, where is the plan? Where was the plan being put in place in terms of how you were going to home all of those people? It Absolutely everybody accepts that this is a large number of people who have had to be accommodated uh, and we weren't, you know, we weren't expecting it initially. But we need a plan. We're a year down the road now. Um, the communication strategy we were promised is still going to be weeks away. And I agree with, with Roisin that there isn't an all of government approach. I mean, we, we learned this week as well that there are up to 1,200 spaces available in rest centres. Um, and Minister Darrow, O'Brien, why was he not engaging with the local authorities to make sure that they were being used? So 
I do have sympathy for for Minister. Have, I have, yeah, sympathy, have sympathy for Minister O'Gorman because I do think but he has do been left to go out and fight the battle. There just isn't time for a plan. Like there's so much uncertainty in Ukraine that's completely unknown to us as to when a war in that country is going to come to an end, and the government just has to rapidly react and hasn't got but time that was, to be proactive. That was fine a couple of months after the war, but the war is now well over a year uh, in place. So we needed to have a strategy. And we do need, and it, it, when it comes to engaging with communities, one of the key things, yes, communities want questions answered. Most people have genuine questions and when when they're answered they're they're quite content. But there's also, listening to Martin in, in briefly, there are community groups across, I live in Clendalkin, that want to engage, want okay. to help between English classes, to help integrate. If they don't okay. have the information or so, the resources, they can't yeah. do Senator that. Martin, I, I can't to bring you back in. Is, Government there, plan and the, that no. point about Roderick O'Gorman being quote-unquote, thrown under a bus yeah. this week no, as per Roshan Garvey from the it's, Green Party. It's, it's very important that that's been dealt with because that narrative has been put out there and it's not true. There are tens of thousands uh, of Ukrainian children going to school. That's an education approach. Um, uh, this week alone, €50 million Euros was provided by Heather Humphreys to communities all over the country. €2.9 million Euros in Clare alone uh, as a Ukrainian response fund. Um, all ministers, uh, some more so than others, but it's not just a, a, an all of government approach, but it's, a, it's an all of agency approach as well. Uh, and and yes, they can they, some of them can scale up better than others. Uh, and I have no doubt there's areas where improvement can be made. But I think ultimately, in terms of communities, to bring communities with us, uh, the new protocols uh, on, on engagement and providing information and providing appropriate information as well and, uh, uh, to work with, uh, with communities is important. S- Senator were you surprised yesterday when you saw these forecasts in this white paper saying potentially 10 to 15 percent increase on those seeking international protection over the coming year? Like you're not going to be able surely to go around consulting with all of those communities. Look, we're told about the white paper. I haven't seen it. It's a leaked document. I know it certainly hasn't hasn't any white paper hasn't been escalated to the party leaders. Uh, but I am glad to hear that uh, the Department of Integration is scenario planning and is preparing a white paper. I was in Portugal with the Justice Committee a number of years ago. We visited uh, reception centres. Uh, the way they do it there is very professional. Uh, it's a permanent system. Uh, what we do need here is a permanent system. We need more. And, and, and on that, Roshan Chortle, are, are there some good ideas? We've heard overnight this idea of the rest centres that were going to be there for Ukrainian uh, refugees, that they could be used, that could free up 1,400 beds. Well, well, I think that's a very good example of the lack of coordination at government level. Like we had an appalling situation last weekend where there were large numbers of people sleeping on the on the street and then the terrible attacks that took place. Look, why why was that allowed to happen when we now know that there were 1200 mm-hmm. rest centre beds available? Like that's an indication of just no communication between the Department of Housing and the Department of Integration. Look, we also learned during the week that uh, there were proposals sent from the Department of Integration to the Taoiseach's department for new structures to enable that coordination and, you know, cooperation between different state agencies to take place. And also that there would be a new communication strategy because it was rec- it was recognised that there is a, a gap in communication. Those proposals went to the Taoiseach's department five months ago. So on, and, on and that. And they've been sitting there for the last five why, months. So on that very point, Martin Conway of Finnegan, 
Bill, why is it so slow? Five months, all of these ideas, it's not for lack of creativity and innovation that the ideas on the, are on the Taoiseach's desk. Yeah, look, we're, we're dealing with this, uh, as I've said already, uh, in real time. Uh, the, the, the first uh, responsibility of the government is to ensure that people have a roof over their head. Uh, this week alone, uh, we, at the start of the week, there was 480 people sleeping in the streets of Dublin. Uh, that's down to 300, uh, uh, which is 300 too many. There was 229 people accommodated uh, uh, this week in emergency accommodation. Uh, you know, this is in real time. It, it's happening now. And yes, uh, uh, you know, the communications strategy has to be uh, put in place but it has to be done right as well and we, we need to ensure that appropriate and I stress appropriate information is provided uh, to communities that you're also protecting uh, uh, the, the rights of the people who are coming here seeking asylum as well. But uh, but has that plan been sitting in the Taoiseach's department for the last five months? Well it's going to be dealt with. But as I've pointed out to we're dealing with 100,000 people mm-hmm. coming to these countries seeking yeah. uh, uh, protection. In 2019 it was 5,000. So you're, you're dealing with Absolutely, yeah. but that's why those plans yeah. now need to be activated and there shouldn't have been that delay over recent months. Yeah. Well, they will be activated. Okay. Uh, as I've said already... I'm going to have to leave it there. I have to go to a commercial break. We'll be getting more on that and uh, the ongoing counts in the local elections in the North after this. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.